What's up, Will? What's up, Seamus? We got to sit down with Dr. Mark Hyman, who's a physician, a speaker, and an educator. He's very well known in the field of functional medicine, but this his newest book is a, a little bit of a departure from what he's done before and mm-hmm. is really incredibly timely and and such an important piece of work is as we're, we're talking about like the, the fact that there are we are literally with conventional agriculture, industrial agriculture, we are depleting the earth of its resources at a pace that is insurmountable. And however, despite all of this, and we're contributing to this global catastrophe of, of ill health, if we are able to pivot and change the way change our farming practices, we can actually reverse desertification. We can res- we can slow down climate change, and in mm-hmm. in the process, we can provide we can provide healthier food, better quality food for people that need it most. And for sure. uh, I think one of the things I don't know about you, but one of the things that I found really fascinating about this conversation was that he gave the example of farmers who have changed to regenerative agriculture and have been able to actually yield better profits. So it sort of yeah. flies in the face of this notion that healthy food is expensive food. Totally. Yeah, so the book we're talking about here is Mark Hyman's book called Food Fix, How to Save Our Health, Our Economy, Our Communities, and Our Planet One Bite at a Time. And we really get into it as far as the government corruption as, as it relates to the food industry. How do we get to that point? We talk about conventional farming versus regenerative farming. What exactly does that mean? We talk about how the food industry negatively impacts minorities and people of color. We talk about oceans and the dead spaces in the Gulf of Mexico and just so much more. It's a great conversation. It's a super great conversation. And I think it's it's something that it's really easy to get kind of stuck in this idea that, that we're all going to hell in a handbasket. And um, Dr. Hyman really presents some some very tangible pathways to to reversing the 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 path we're going down. So um, I think you guys should all enjoy this. Buckle up and let's get into this conversation with Dr. Mark Hyman. Mark Hyman, thank you so much for being on Goodfellas. Oh my God, I'm so happy to be here with you this guys. This is great. This is awesome. And this we're we're going to talk about your new book, Food Fix, which seems like it's a bit of a departure from other stuff that you've done, which is really, really cool. And I'm so glad that you've tackled this incredibly difficult and somewhat, I don't know, I feel like people in in the health and wellness world don't really talk about the reality of health and wellness, which is that the people that need it most don't really usually have access to it. So I'm I'm glad that you're you're doing this with this book. Yeah, I mean, the the statistics in the book are staggering. I think they're important (laughs) for anybody to read that. I mean, you could say depressing. Yeah, you could. Yeah, depressing. But I mean, the book is helpful at the end of it all. And you mentioned it's not not called food apocalypse. No, it's it's called food Food apocalypse. But you you opened with with one of my favorite quotes uh, of all time, Wendell Berry's quote, which is roughly, you know, we're 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 fed by a food industry that cares nothing about about our health, so we can be treated by a healthcare industry that cares nothing about our food. That's right. And that's like you know. <laughs> Pretty much sets it up. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. You mentioned like the government corruption of our food industry. You mentioned 187 lobbyists for every member of Congress. Mm-hmm. And the difference, we have the USDA my plate. But yeah, if we look at what the government is funding, yeah. we would have like a deep fried fritter and soybean oil. And that's, right. uh, that's not what they're recommending. So how did we get here? I mean, the foods that people are eating, how did we get here? Well, you know what? 
it, it wasn't a bunch of evil people sitting around in a conference room saying, how are we going to poison America? Mm-hmm. How are we going to poison the planet? How are we going to cause climate change and create a country where 75% of us are overweight and 42% are obese and one out of two have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes and 40% of our kids are overweight and one in two have ADD and we can't mount the military because our 70% are unfit to fight and our kids mm-hmm. can't learn in school. And we're destroying the climate. No, nobody did that, right? Mm-hmm. There were a set of things that happened after World War II, which allowed the industrialization of agriculture. It was the big era of modernization, right? right. The Jetsons and all that. Yeah. And, and I remember the Jetsons. It was yeah. like a futuristic cartoon show I used to watch as a kid. And the the goal was to create as many calories for a hungry world as possible using industrial methods of agriculture. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew that pesticides were bad. Nobody knew that fertilizer destroyed the soil and polluted our waterways. Nobody knew that the starchy calories we were producing in mass mm-hmm. from corn, wheat, and soy were driving obesity and diabetes epidemics and chronic disease, which kill a lot of people mm-hmm. every year. 70% of the people who die in the world die from mostly preventable lifestyle-caused diseases, mostly by diet. Mm-hmm. And nobody was like, oh, we, we're going to do that. No, it was just sort of the good intentions to do the right thing mm-hmm. that led to these terrible sets of consequences. And then business does what it does. is It grows, it consolidates. And, it, uh, and over the last 40 years, we've seen a massive consolidation of big food companies, big ag companies, fertilizer companies, seed companies, from hundreds of seed companies to so just four or five that right. control 60% of the seeds. Mm-hmm. We've seen you know, big food companies with like maybe nine or 10 big food companies who own all the other brands. Right. Mm-hmm. So you think you're eating some brand that has nothing to do with Nestle or Unilever Kraft, or Danone. Yeah. You know, but Danone has Haagen-Dazs, for example. Who knew that? Or Nestle mm-hmm. makes you know Pellegrino yeah. water. You don't know that. Well, that's not such a bad thing. But they, 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 they have really consolidated and, and it's led to uh, a massive influence on our policies around mm-hmm. food that try to keep the status quo. But I do see that changing and that's why I'm really hopeful. I see big companies changing their direction. Mm-hmm. Like Danone just announced it was going to be uh, paying farmers to convert their conventional farms to regenerative farms which wow. can help reverse mm-hmm. climate change. General Mills committed a million acres to regenerate ag. Kellogg says, no more glyphosate in our cereal. Who, who knows if they're actually going to do it? Right. But they committed by 2025. Mm-hmm. You know, the top 20 food companies under pressure from investors, fast food companies, said we're going to get antibiotics out of our supply chain. So, mm-hmm. And you've got Unilever unilaterally saying, who owns a lot of ice cream brands like Ben & Jerry's, saying we're not going to advertise ice cream to kids anymore. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things are happening because consumers are changing their behavior, they're mm-hmm. changing their choices, they're mm-hmm. voting with their wallet, yeah. with their fork. And I think I'm inspired to see these kinds of interests and change happening. Yeah. So do you feel like that it's really the consumers that are waking up and that is causing the industry, the f- big food industries, to make that shift? That's Absolutely. The- I mean, they're not going to do it on their own. Right. Although, although in terms of regenerative ag, it's interesting because what most people don't understand is that our very way of growing food is threatening our future ability to grow food. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that we are destroying the soil. Sure. We have 60 harvests left, according to the UN. Right. No soil, no food, no humans. And we do that because of the methods of agriculture, tillage, mm-hmm. soil Monocrop, erosion, yeah. the poisons we put on the soil. Think about you know your, your gut microbiome, right? If you take antibiotics, you're gonna destroy your microbiome and it's gonna destroy your health. Mm-hmm. 
So the things we put on soil are like antibiotics that are killing the life of the soil, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, mm-hmm. fertilizer. And so we're, we're not going to be able to grow food anymore. We're turning an area the size of North Korea into desert every year by our farming techniques. We're losing literally millions of acres of farmland. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and then on top of that, the very way we're growing food is driving climate change. And the shocking thing that I found out when I wrote my book, Food Fix, was that the food system is the biggest cause of climate change. Mm-hmm. And yes, we all know about factory farming of animals, mm-hmm. and that should be banned, and that is about 14% of greenhouse gases. Mm-hmm. But when you add in deforestation, soil erosion, uh, food waste, packaging, processing, transport, refrigeration, mm-hmm. it's about half, which is more than fossil fuels. So that's the bad news, but the good news is it can be fixed. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, uh, the UN announced recently that if the world collectively spent $300 billion, mm-hmm. which is less than the amount that Medicare spends only on diabetes, right? If, if Medicare were a company, it would be the biggest company in the world right. with a $1.3 trillion a year budget, mm-hmm. right? And if we, took, if we took $300 billion and converted uh, about 2 million of the 5 million degraded hectares of land around the world mm-hmm. that's been destroyed by our conventional farming and mm-hmm. we converted to regenerative agriculture, we could stop climate change for 20 years. You mentioned this staggering statistic that according to the UN, we have 60 harvests left, yeah. our soil does. Yeah. Is that, are other people looking at this? At, at What's the state? Because regenerative farming to me still seems like uh, it's not as big as it needs to be. No, it's not. No, I mean, uh, Amazon Whole Foods just announced uh, one of the most important trends forward in, fu- in the future of food is regenerative agriculture. But only 10% of people know what that is. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we should explain what it is. But the government is starting to think about this. Mm-hmm. The farmers are starting to think about this. The big food companies are starting to think about this. So they're, they're actually ahead of the game, which is very mm-hmm. impressive to me. And I think that if we understand that if we change the way we grow food, that's where everything starts, right? At the mm-hmm. seed level. Right at the soil level, at the farm level, because that mm-hmm. determines what we grow, mm-hmm. obviously how we grow it, mm-hmm. the quality of the food. And I don't think most people understand that the quality of our food, even if you're eating whole foods in a plant-based diet, mm-hmm. the quality of our nutrition and the nutritional density in food yeah. is dramatically lower than it was 50 years ago. If you're eating mm-hmm. broccoli today, it's 50% less nutritious than it was 50 years ago when I was 10 years old. Right? Why? Because the soil, if it's soil, which means it's alive and full of microbes. I mean, one thimble full of soil has more life in it than all the humans that ever lived on the planet. Mm-hmm. If we if we have soil that's converted to dirt, which is lifeless and you kill all the microbiology, you need the microbiology of the soil to actually extract the nutrients to feed the plants, which give them the nutrition. Sure. So because we're, we're increasingly using chemicals and fertilizers, it's getting worse and worse, and and here's what's shocking to me as I as I I'm look I'm not a farmer I'm a doctor but I did study I did study agriculture in college a little bit, and I, and and soil and biological agriculture. Yeah. But what's what's shocking to me is that um, you know if we if we look at the way we grow the food, it, it's it's actually producing food that's so less nutritious than it sure. was 50 years ago, and we we have to sort of 
come up with a different way of farming, and, mm-hmm. and that's really important. And also plants that, that are that are being grown with with petro uh, fertilizers that they don't need to actually be able to defend themselves against pesticides, the pe- against pests rather, because right. the, the pesticides do it for them. So right. you end up with weaker plants yeah. that have have fewer nutrients. And we and, need more and more of these chemicals. So yeah. so fertilizers used to work pretty well. Mm-hmm. Now they're two thirds as effective, sure. and we use seven times as much fertilizer, which has massive right. negative consequences. We need more pesticides and more herbicides because the plants and the pests are getting smarter yeah. and mutating. Glyphosate, which is a herb killer, weed mm-hmm. killer, an herbicide, a Antibi- Antibiotic, essentially. Yeah, it, it literally kills the microbiome of the mm-hmm. soil. Kills our microbiome sure. when we eat it, Through by the water, way. Yeah, it's water-soluble. I mean, I yeah, I'm like, I, I try to eat healthy, but I, 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 I try to eat non-GMO and mm-hmm. all that, mm-hmm. but it's on 70 crops. So if you go out to eat, yeah. you know what you get? Yeah. I have, I, my glyphosate levels are in the 50th percentile for the population. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we know how harmful that is in terms of cancer, right. in terms of, of the microbiome. But if, we, if you put all that stuff on the soil, um, it's causing more damage. So we're needing more and more chemical inputs mm-hmm. to create the same amount of yield or, or food but it's creating more destruction and it's a right. vicious negative spiral and regenerative agriculture reverses that spiral and actually adds value into the environment, increases mm-hmm. soil carbon. And so mm-hmm. most people don't realize that basically two thirds of the carbon in the environment comes from you know fossil fuels and other things, but about one third of all the carbon in the environment, which is a trillion tons, about 300 billion tons of carbon comes from the damage to the soil, from right. loss of soil carbon and, and that leads to incredible climate change. And that's why using regenerative agriculture can put the carbon mm-hmm. back in the soil. It uses incredible carbon capture technology. Mm-hmm. It's available everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's called photosynthesis. Right. <laughs> it's billions <laughs> of years old. Yeah. And it works. Right. And you know, we think rainforests and all that, but the truth is that the soil is a far bigger carbon mm-hmm. sink than the rainforest. So you, you mentioned that you'd gotten your glyphosate levels checked. I'm just curious to know how do you do that. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering myself. Am I like topping off at yeah? Well, we probably are. We, yeah. you know, glyphosate is you know 70 percent of all the agricultural chemicals on the planet are glyphosate. It's increased a hundredfold in the last 40 years, mm-hmm. uh, it's, and that's the key component in Roundup. Right? It's three, yeah, 3.5 billion pounds we put on our oh my god <laughs> soil in America alone since we started using it. Uh, so it's it's everywhere. Uh, and, and there's more glyphosate in your Cheerios uh, than there is vitamin A or vitamin D, which are added to the cereal. So I, it, it's important to, to check yourself if you can, mm-hmm. because one, it'll make you aware that you you are exposed, mm-hmm. and two, that'll make you more diligent about not eating stuff that has that in it. Mm-hmm. And there's a test from a lab called Great Plains Laboratory. Uh, and you can Google it, and you can measure your urine glyphosate levels. Uh, your doctor will have to order it. I don't know if you can order it directly, but it's just a simple urine test. And uh, I think it's it's you know it's more for for getting awareness uh-huh. and getting people to be active. And I think if we if we got everybody's glyphosate levels tested in America, and they go like, oh my god, mm-hmm. then I think it'll change. So can we back up for a second? Because I feel like a lot of where we are now is a direct result of having subsidized product, um, crops, having artificially low cost food. 
And to switch to a, a model that's based on regenerative agriculture is going to have an impact on our behavior, on our spending behavior, because it's going to impact the cost of food without a doubt. I mean, we I know that we as the United States, as a, as a developed nation, we spend less of our disposable income per capita on yeah. food than any other nation in the world. Right. About 9% and Europe spends about yeah. 20%. Yeah. So it's, it's we're, as we're now living on an ever-growing planet that has a, a population that seems unsustainable based on the resources we have on the planet, how do we, I mean, this is the, the million dollar question, but how do we create um, a regenerative agriculture on a, on a global scale that's affordable given the, the, the economies that we live in? Well, you know, it's interesting that it, people think it's more expensive to do this. The mm-hmm. food's going to cost more. And this moment, I, just, I understand this reframing because you have an incredible point here where you talk about the actual cost of like a, a soda right, or something. Right, right. Which well, might be two, 22 there, cents. You know, right. I mean, there's two, yeah. two issues here. What is yeah. the real cost of the food right, we're right, eating? Right, it's yeah. not the price we pay at the no, chicken no. counter. Yeah. And what is actually will be the cost of regenerative ag because of, of the benefits that it creates. So there are now farmers that make 20 times what their neighbor does mm-hmm. in regenerative ag. Mm-hmm. They use less inputs, they don't pay all the chemicals, fertilizers, they don't need as much irrigation, and they, the food is better quality and they make more money from it. So it's a highly profitable. And also, there are companies that are investing in regenerative ag because it's so profitable. Mm-hmm. So they, there's mm-hmm. a company called Farmland LP, which is I think is a private equity company, and they're buying up conventional farms. Mm-hmm. They're investing to convert them to regenerative ag. Their profits on the farms go from single digits, although most farmers make minus $1,600 a year, oh, to like 70, 80% returns. And then there's this concept called ecosystem services, which are a whole new framework in the economy. So just to put in perspective, um, we, we use about $125 trillion of natural resources every year from the earth, which you know we just borrow and steal and use. Um, and, and when you do regenerative agriculture, it actually adds environmental benefits Mm -hmm. they call them ecosystem services so soil building soil is an ecosystem benefit not using so much irrigation or conserving water it's a benefit increasing biodiversity pollinator species that's a benefit Mm -hmm. Uh, and and so in this farmland lp they buy these farms and then they find that that traditional farm that they had would have cost the environment eight million Mm dollars These new, this new group of farms that they invested in now add $21 million of benefit mm-hmm. wow. to the environment. And there are companies like Indigo that are measuring through high-tech in, uh, uh, strategies the amount of soil carbon, mm-hmm. the amount of ecosystem service benefits, and they're paying farmers for this. Mm-hmm. Even even these companies like Danone are starting to pay, want to pay farmers incentives to do this. That's what the government needs to do. We need yeah. to structure policies so that we incentivize the right thing and de-incentivize the wrong thing. Right, right now, if you're a if you're a uh, you know have a thousand acre or ten thousand acre monocrop corn or soy field, and you're a farmer and you get cro- crop supports from your government. If you have a five acre plot of vegetables, you want to create a regenerative little thing. You get you lose all your subsidies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You, know, you can't do it, and, and so yeah. I think th- this is exciting. And I I, I sat with the, the ranking member on the ag committee, uh, a minority member on the ag committee uh, the other night, talking about these issues. And I was just surprised at how uh, interested and, and mm-hmm. open they were. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm working on a campaign called the Food Fix Campaign, which is a nonprofit mm-hmm. that uh, put together an incredible bipartisan crew of Washington insiders to drive policy change. And people are cynical, and how can you get anything to happen? And mm-hmm. but the truth is, you can. And there are there are many mechanisms. Whether there's the appropriations bill, the budget reconciliation, it's sort of super techie, you mm-hmm. know, you know, wonky Washington stuff. 
but but there are mechanisms, and the government runs. Like there's a, there's a four trillion dollar budget, and it it runs right. It's mm-hmm. not like it's shut down all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. moments when it's shut down, mm-hmm. and and so through those mechanisms, we're, how do we change these policies? Mm-hmm. But I've seen you know really great interest uh, uh, from Senate uh, from Senate members, congressmen that are starting to get this. Uh, mm-hmm. and we, we have to navigate then thread the needle on how to do it. But mm-hmm. the Food Fix campaign is is really going to be that effort, yeah. the grassroots education. That's launching this spring, right? It's launching this spring, yeah. And, um, you know, we also have a lobby group. I, I you know, sort of made, made a comment about the 187 lobbyists and how terrible lobbyists are. And, mm-hmm. and, then, and they do have impact. I mean, just in one year, in yeah. 2015, uh, there, were, there was $192 million spent on one bill mm-hmm. to fight GMO labeling, <laughs> wow. which obviously didn't pass. Right. right. The farm bill has a half a billion dollars spent. So I actually am going to become a lobbyist. <laughs> but for the good guys. I, I, for the good guys, <laughs> right. You're like so Captain Planet. 501C4, which is a lobby action yeah. group. Mm-hmm. And it's really advocacy. going Because there's nobody educating lawmakers about this. I've, right. I've been privileged to talk to congressmen and senators, and I'm just shocked at how uneducated they are about yeah. these issues not that they don't care about them they just don't know about them and they're hearing right. one side and and yeah. that's right and I, I i had a meeting with a guy who worked for eight years in the obama administration on food and food policy he says every week these you know big food companies would come in or ag companies they have their 50 regulations they want to change they'd have their legislation already written the laws already written mm-hmm. and then they all the backup for it and they say give it to the lawmakers who are super busy you don't have time to do all the research like, okay this looks this makes sense yeah, yeah. i'll sign and, this and, and, and he said there was an entire time one group that came in to talk about the other side wow to, to say here's a series of policies and so we are going through what are the winnable wins what mm-hmm. are the ways we can start incrementally yeah. how do we actually start to to change the system. And I think it couldn't have happened before, but I think now, yeah, we're ready. We, I mean, Medicare is just such a great example, right? So we have this chronic disease epidemic mm-hmm. that is created by this ultra processed food that we're eating. So 60% of American calories are ultra processed food, which mm-hmm. is what? It's made from corn, wheat, and soy that are made into all these food-like products that mm-hmm. are easily uh, accessible, cheap, and absorbed by the body in ways that drive obesity and diabetes mm-hmm. and chronic illness and you know it means six out of ten americans have a chronic illness mm-hmm. four out of ten have two or more and globally uh, and this is conservative i think it kills 11 million people a year mm-hmm. like yeah. like think about it that's like a holocaust every single year right we're worried about coronavirus three thousand people died and there'll be more for sure but every single day in america alone 2,300 people die from heart attacks, yeah. <laughs> heart disease, Every which is preventable, day. not well, to mention diabetes, right, cancer, right. Alzheimer's. I mean, Where's and, the hysteria around yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, why shouldn't, I mean, think about that. I mean, it, it's such a prevalent thing, and yet nobody's got the urgency because it's, mm-hmm. it's like a slow-moving train right. that's uh, going to kill us all. Yeah. And We're and so I, acclimated to yeah. it. I mean, the, the, the report came out last week in the New England Journal of Medicine on obesity saying that now it's 42%, but in... 10 years it's going to be 50 percent. so that means one out of two americans will be obese mm-hmm, not yeah. even overweight just obese and one in ten will be severely obese mm-hmm. when i was born five percent of americans were obese now it's going to be up to 50 percent mm-hmm. and that's because of this ultra processed food we're eating and mm-hmm. and that's the key here is how people link that up to the costs yeah right so lawmakers care about the costs and the budget and we have a 22 trillion dollar debt the costs are staggering. One in three Medicare dollars is on diabetes. 
if you added in pre-diabetes, it would probably be two and three <laughs> Medicare mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's now thirty percent or a third of our entire federal budget, according to the, uh, the Congressional Budget Office. It's going to be about forty eight percent within five years. Wow. The Medicare Trust Fund will run out of money in like five years. We're mm-hmm. not talking about twenty years from now, thirty years. We're talking about like during the cu- current terms of most congressmen and senators yeah. and even president. And so what are the implications of that? We can't have Medicare for all without fixing why people are getting sick in right. the first right. place because right. it's going to bankrupt us. Right. And yes, we should all have access to health care and there should be a universal right to basic health care. Yeah. But if we do it the way we're doing it now, we're screwed. Yeah. Can, you, oh, yeah, I was just wondering if you, if you can just kind of break down and explain exactly what regenerative agriculture is because I think for yes. a lot of people that, you know, we think, right. oh, well, this is organic, this is yes. good, I'm doing the best thing, yeah. um, but not really understanding what mm. is mm. involved in yeah. regenerative agriculture and, and how that relates to current monocrop crop agriculture. Sure. So, so, so organic agriculture, regenerative agriculture, conventional agriculture, those terms people throw out. So mm-hmm. conventional agriculture is what we've been talking about. Since large, the 1950s, really. Yeah, large farms, monocrops, corn, wheat, and soy, and a few other crops, tons of chemicals, tons of massive machinery destroying mm-hmm. the soil, creates poor quality food, is bad for humans, bad for the environment, and bad for the animals. Organic is a step above. It helps to actually uh, use less chemicals and better methods, but there can be industrial organic where you're having mm-hmm. these large farms with mono. And crops and, and lots of tillage and soil erosion and uh, and they still use in- inputs that are you know potentially things like bone meal from re- you know factory farm animals mm-hmm. and other things. So it's better. They still use a lot of irrigation. They you know, can still use a lot of resources. Regenerative agriculture is is a way of farming that actually mimics nature. So it it doesn't disturb the soil. So no mm-hmm. tilling of the soil or digging it up. You leave it covered all the time. So there's cover crops if if you're off season. Mm-hmm. You do crop rotations because different plants put in different nutrients in the soil. You actually include animals mm-hmm. in the cycle. Mm-hmm. And even if you're a vegan or vegetarian, it doesn't matter because you need animals to build soil. They poo and they pee. Mm-hmm. And they use mob grazing techniques, which are mimicking natural herds that, right. that graze. And then they move to another area and they move to another area. And they dig, they dig and they poo and they pee. Mm-hmm. And they uh, actually don't eat all the way down and overgraze, they move to the next spot and allows the, everything to kind of rebound and increase the carbon in the soil, mm-hmm. increase water conservation. I mean, 1% organic matter in the soil will hold 27,000 gallons per acre of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can have 7, 8, 10% wow. organic matter. And we see these farms in the Midwest that were flooded. You know, 1 million acres were flooded and crops were destroyed. And, the, you know, just to put it in perspective, the annual subsidy bill for our farms is about $4 billion. In one year, President Trump had to give $20 billion to rescue the farmers, mm-hmm. uh, and, which was unprecedented. And mm-hmm. so regenerative agriculture is a way of actually restoring the ecosystem. And then what happens is you conserve water, you store carbon, you produce better food that's more nutritious. You actually increase biodiversity because most of us don't realize that that we've lost 90% of our edible plant species, half of our livestock species, mm-hmm. 75% of our pollinator species, on which a lot of agriculture depends, bees and butterflies. When you actually have a regenerative farm, it, it actually increases the natural biodiversity of the soil and of the ecosystem, bringing back all these different animals and mm-hmm. and, 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 and insects and, and things that are good. And, and, this, I think, and this is achievable at scale? 
it is achievable at scale, and I think people don't appreciate that. Uh, they think it's so sort of elitist or right. it's not scalable, but it is. In fact, you know, just let's take meat for example. Mm-hmm. Um, factory farming is terrible. It's sure. bad for the environment. Like fourteen percent of greenhouse gases, the methane, the destruction, the way we grow the food, the deforestation. I mean, it's just it's just staggering how, what a destructive force it is on the planet, and it produces bad quality meat, and it's bad for the animals because mm-hmm. it's inhumane. And we use tons of antibiotics and we use all this stuff. And, you know, we produce about 29 million cows in America that we eat every year. Uh, if you look at how many animals there were in America, like buffalo and elk, it was far more than the cows we have right. now. Mm-hmm. We and eradicated they weren't causing plants, climate yeah. change, no. right? They were actually reversing it. Right. And when you, when you grow an- animals in a regenerative way, you can use land that's really degraded and restore it. So 40% of the land, you can't grow vegetables, you can't grow grains, you can't grow beans. 40% of agricultural land has to be used for grazing, and if it's used properly, it can restore the land. So mm-hmm. in America, uh, it's estimated if we took all the, the degraded land, we took the, uh, the conservation land that's not being used, or bureau land management, if we, mm-hmm. if we converted some of the corn and crop, corn and soy fields that are used to, for animal feed to regenerative agriculture, we could produce 50, more than 59 million cows. So we could literally almost double, double the, the, the amount number, of yeah. cows we produce in a way that's better for the environment. Now, I don't think we all need to eat tons of meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole other question of is meat healthy for you or not? And that's a rabbit hole. We but, <laughs> but, I th- but I think that just in terms of, of the understanding of how to restore mm-hmm. our agricultural right. systems and produce better quality food and save the climate from you know climate apocalypse, it's, yeah. it's, it's actually one of the most important strategies. And this is why the UN... And many other governments across the world are focused on this. Mm-hmm. How do we put carbon back in the soil? Because uh, one, it's it's important for addressing climate change, and two, many countries are not able to grow food anymore. Right. For example, Thailand, their soil is so bad that their 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 ability to grow food is is really threatened. And there's groups like the Carbon Underground that are going and working with governments across the world to actually. Uh, introduce these these concepts and these practices to restore these lands and, and, and actually be able to create a viable agricultural system. Yeah, I think one of the most dramatic visual things that that we can see that to really actually see the impact of the, of, of, of uh, industrial farming is when you fly over the United States and you fly over the breadbasket in this mm. central part of the country and, if you, and it's just this kind of brown wasteland yeah. with very organized crops with one you know one crop growing this like it's all brown soil there's nothing else growing except for corn and soy yeah. and if you were able to fly over 100 years ago you would have seen a completely different story right. you would have seen you know obviously more greens than browns and you would have seen a biodiversity that doesn't exist any longer yeah. is it possible do you think to reverse that i mean it's not exactly desertification but it well i guess in a sense it is i mean we're it's essentially it's we're going there we're in that direction but is it possible to reverse that through returning it to grazing land and how do you do is do you start by planting grass and and indigenous uh um species that were that were living there 100 years ago and try to reintroduce that the the best example is uh this movie called biggest little farm Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Which is essentially about a degraded land in mm-hmm. California that yeah. was brought back to this vibrant, thriving mm-hmm. ecosystem, yeah. which was mixed with plants and animals of all sorts that produce incredible food. Uh, and and yeah, the answer is yeah, you can bring yeah. back land from near death. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are example after example after example of this. Mm-hmm. And 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 then like Gabe Brown is a great example I talk about in the book who 
was a North Dakota yes. farmer who had a 5,000 acre farm. And it was, you know, this traditional, you know, industrial farm. And it just got trashed by hail and bad weather. And he was about to go bankrupt. And he started researching what he could do. And he came up con- upon this concept. And he literally has created this most incredible regenerative farm with um, a whole array of sort of biodiverse plants and animals on it. And he said, you know, he, he basically has made 29 inches of soil using the animals. Wow. So mm-hmm. before, uh, you know, you know, it took, you know, centuries to build soil, right? Mm-hmm. It took a thousand years to build three centimeters of soil. Uh, and we're using it in animals in this very sort of advanced way and integrating it with all these different plants. He was able to build 20 inches of soil. His farm is climate and weather resistant. While his farmer's friends' uh, uh, fields are completely flooded, his is fine. Uh, he produces uh, food with no inputs, right? For he says, I make my own fertilizer from my animals pooping and peeing. Yeah. I don't have to buy it. Mm-hmm. He has restored this biodiversity. He 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 actually makes better quality food, and he makes twenty times the profit of his neighbor. Yeah. So it's a it's and and that's why you, you know, there's a transition happening now where where if government got involved, it could really scale this. I mean, companies like Danone and General Mills are paying farmers to do this, right. which is amazing. And why? Because they are, like I said before, worried about their future supply chain. It's not out of altruism. It's right. out of right. economics. Yeah. Something you talk about in the book is how our food industry disproportionately negatively impacts minorities. Mm-hmm. Just from the beginning, historically, agricultural industry was built on slavery. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated, right? I mean, you know. Our, our whole agricultural system was based on slavery. And then mm-hmm. um, after uh, slavery was abolished, there were African-Americans were supposed to get 14 acres and a mule, uh, according to Lincoln. And then President Johnson, who was one of the presidents who got impeached, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, re- you know, reversed that decision. And if that land had been given to African-Americans, uh, it would be worth $6.4 trillion right now. <laughs> And and then the food uh, and workers often and farm workers continue to be African Americans mm-hmm. and then it moved over to being, you know, mostly brown and black food and farm workers. And the the consequence is that in the nineteen thirties there was the Fair Labor Standards Act, which was to protect workers' rights. But in order to get it passed, Roosevelt had to concede to the Southern Dixie Democrats who were racist and uh, eliminate the food and farm workers from the Fair Labor Act, which is why restaurant workers can make two dollars an hour. It's why you know farmers uh, and farm workers make you know a ridiculously low amount of money, maybe ten thousand a year or less, and and have to sleep in the in the fields because they can't afford housing or they're exposed to all sorts of things. And then you know the government is actually paying for that, right? Mm-hmm. Who's paying for the low cost of food? If 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 our food workers and farm workers need Medicaid. You need food stamps. Mm-hmm. Who's paying for that? They need tips. So mm-hmm. we're paying in tips. Yeah. We're paying in Medicaid. We're paying in food stamps for these people who are getting paid so little mm-hmm. and the price is so low. So we don't really account for the true price. Right, the true cost of it. The true cost. And I think there's a whole movement around cost mm-hmm. accounting, true cost accounting, which mm-hmm. reflects the true life cycle cost of something, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just take corn, okay? Uh, we, we, we support the corn with taxpayer dollars to grow it. Mm-hmm. The way it's grown is destructive to the environment using pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers, which 
then cause environmental damage, contribute to climate change. Uh, for example, the right runoff from nitrogen fertilizer goes into the rivers, lakes, and streams and and kills the fish through the algal blooms, which mm-hmm. suck all the oxygen out because the fertilizer fertilizes the algae. You mentioned like a New Jersey-sized wasteland in the Gulf of Mexico. Right, right. So it kills yeah. it kills an area and it sucks out of, a, out of an area the size of New Jersey in the Gulf of Mexico, which kills 212,000 metric tons of fish every year. Who's paying for those fish? Right. And, and then there's 400 of these around the world. Mm-hmm. So fertilizer alone, just to take that example, we produce 400 billion pounds of fertilizer it uses two percent of all the energy in the world to make the fertilizer which mostly comes from natural gas from fracking Mm -hmm. which produces 40 to 50 times percent more methane than conventional wells so you're getting that climate change effect then you put on the soil it produces nitrous oxide which is 300 times as potent as greenhouse gas it kills the microbiology of the soil and then it runs off into the rivers, lakes, and causes all this damage. And there's 400 of these dead zones around the world the size of New Jersey. So that's just like the beginning of the cost of growing your corn. Mm-hmm. Then it's turned into processed food, which is artificially cheap. I said to the vice chairman of Prepsi, I said, why do you use high fructose corn syrup? He says, the government makes it too cheap for us not to do it. Right. And then it's turned into processed food. And then the government says, well, we need to deal with food insecurity and hunger, so we're gonna have food stamps, which is great, and it's right. a much needed program. But it's it doesn't address food quality or nutrition quality, mm-hmm. and and we spend seven billion dollars a year just for soda with food stamps in this country, which the taxpayers are paying, and then those people who are having and by the way seventy five percent of food stamps are junk food, mm-hmm. right. uh, and then we're paying for Medicare Medicaid on the back end, so we're paying right. for the environmental costs, we're paying for it through food stamps, we're paying for the subsidies that go to grow it, we're paying for the chronic disease that results from it. Yeah. And so we're, we're essentially privatizing the profits and socializing the costs. Right. You know, GE polluted the Hudson River with PCBs. They eventually were held to task by lawyers and had to pay $1.3 billion to clean up the river. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the food companies are not paying the true cost of all the consequences of their food, and the taxpayers are, and the environment is. And so what it would be the cost of you know, a, a high fructose corn syrup soda, it could be a hundred dollars, you know, right. You know, compared to regenerative beef, what should a factory farm beef, uh, burger be? Maybe it should be a thousand dollars a pound and a mm-hmm. regenerative burger should be $2 a pound. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not actually accounting for those true costs. And I think, uh, if, if, if we start to move in the right direction and we start to sort of, uh, ad- address those issues, I think it'll, it'll shift. But right mm-hmm. now, um, you know, uh, the, these food companies don't have to deal with the consequences of their, yeah. their behavior. Yeah, there's you. You may you um, point out the case of one of your patients from from the Cleveland Clinic who um, who yeah. like Jan- Janice, I think is her name, and she lost 126 pounds and reversed her. Yeah, you know, yeah. All her, these her different st- disease markers. And in the end, she was saving like twenty thousand dollars a year. In, yeah. in, in hidden costs. And it's right. Pretty and amazing. her co-pays. Yeah, I mean, this is a patient who was fairly educated, but she grew up in a family culture of just eating processed food. And she was in her 60s when she did this yeah, too. Yeah, she was in her 60s. Remarkable. And you think, oh, it's too late. I think, you know, 5% of the patients cost 60, 50% of the Medicare costs. So mm-hmm. focusing on those, and she was one of them. And she she was severely obese. She had type 2 diabetes on insulin. She had heart failure. Her kidneys were failing. She was on her way to a heart transplant, a kidney transplant. Oh, God. And she had high blood pressure. And she was on a pile of drugs. And she had heart disease. And she didn't know that food was so bad and 
she swapped out her diet by joining one of our groups at Cleveland Clinic called Functioning for Life, which is a shared medical appointment. It's sort of using peer pressure to help people change. And she lost, in the first three months, she lost 43 pounds. The first three days, she got off her insulin. In three months, she got off all her meds and her kidneys and her heart normalized. And in a year, she lost 116 pounds. Awesome. And it was just by using food. So food is the cause of the problem, but it's That's also the, the cure yeah. for the problem. Yeah. So what are some things that we can do today to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. I think that, you know, like I said, the book, I'm talking about a lot of bad stuff, but there's a lot of good stuff that's happening. And I, I wrote um, a food fix action guide, which mm -hmm. extracts a lot of the ideas from the book and puts a lot more in. Mm -hmm. You can go to foodfixbook.com and download the action guide. And it's free. Uh, and, it, and it lists, for example, citizen actions, business innovations, government policies that need to change. Uh, and, and it's really just meant to be a start of that conversation. So mm -hmm. for individuals, like I said at the beginning of the show, their choices drive businesses to change what's in their food. I've been to Nestle's headquarters in Cleveland where they do all their food innovation mm -hmm. and they're really interested in what I think, which is surprising. I don't take any money from them. I don't want to consult. I don't want to get paid. But I'm like, here's the crap that's in your food. Here's what you need to get out. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm completely you know, unfiltered when I talk about it. And they are actually taking a lot of the crap out of their food. They got rid of their candy business. They were focusing on regenerative ag. They're trying to improve the the ingredients and take out the, the additives and junk in their food. So I, mm -hmm. I, I see these industries changing. So make sure what you buy, if you can do, let's say, four things that I would say. One is don't eat any ingredients that come from industrial food, right? White flour, unless it's sort of heirloom flour or some other grain, high fructose corn syrup, and refined soybean oil. And we can argue the health benefits are not of each of those, but just from the point of view of changing the system, mm -hmm. right. when you stop doing that, it's gonna make a difference. The second is focus on trying to find non-GMO foods. Now, it's not always possible, you don't always know what's in it, but there's now a non-GMO certified label, verified mm -hmm. label, which you can look for. And, and that, again, will drive the market to change. Campbell's Soup got rid of GMO mm -hmm. in their food, which is amazing. I didn't, you know, Campbell's is not exactly a health food company, but, but they did that, mm -hmm. you know. Kellogg's, uh, again, saying no glyphosate, which means they're not gonna be able to use GMO corn and GMO mm -hmm. uh, wheat. I mean, they don't have GMO wheat, but spray the wheat with glyphosate, mm -hmm. which is in their, in their cereal. So that's really something you can do as an individual. So upgrade your diet. Sort of don't eat industrial food, don't eat ultra-processed food, just eat whole food. I don't care if you're vegan or paleo, whatever. You know, you have more in common with each other than you do with the traditional American ultra-processed diet, right. which is 60% of our calories. And then there's, there's other things that make a difference. So Food waste is a big issue, uh, and, and we need bigger solutions for food waste, but most of us throw out 30 to 40% of what we buy because it goes bad in our fridge or we don't use it or whatever. If you're throwing that onto a landfill, it, it's driving methane production, it's mm -hmm. rotting, causing climate change. And if, if food waste for a country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases after U.S. and China. Mm -hmm. <laughs> staggering. It's staggering. Yeah, right? I, mean, I was blown away to hear that um, the, the amount of time it takes for like a head of lettuce to break down inside a plastic bag yeah. is like 35 years. Oh, wow. I mean, it's insane. Great. Yeah, so it's, it's really bad that, that we're, we're throwing all this food out and not to mention you know, the other factors besides climate change like the fact that we use about $2 trillion worth of resources to grow the food we throw out. It would require an area the size of the landmass of all of China to grow that food that we literally throw in the garbage. It's a pound a day for mm -hmm. every American. Wow. And there's innovations around that. You could have a compost pile in your 
in your uh, backyard and you can have a compost bucket in your kitchen, which I've done for 40 years. If you live in the city or an apartment, you can actually have an in-apartment composter and you can bring it to your local farmer's market or you can have a you know raised bed garden on your rooftop in, in the city. We do that. So there's ways we can actually add, contribute to the, prop, uh, the, the solution. Uh, you can have a little regenerative garden in your backyard. You can create a community garden. You can join a community supported agriculture. Uh, you can become more active in, in your political process, which I think is important. People need to vote. I mean, if we, we've sort of feel apathetic, mm-hmm. we've abdicated our, our choices, but it matters. And mm-hmm. politicians listen and they care what their constituents think. You can speak out. There's a group called Food Policy Action. You can go to foodpolicyaction.org and they have a list of every single congressman and senators, what their voting records are in food and ag, who's the bad guys, who's the good guys. And, and they've outed two really bad actors in Congress using a social media campaign, which is incredible. So yeah. we, we actually have power. Love it. Uh, if you care about, for example, your local community, maybe you want to change what's going on in your own workplace mm-hmm. with the quality of the food. Maybe you want to work with your schools to improve school lunches. And there's a lot of examples of how to do that in the book. Maybe you want to go to your local municipality and create a composting ordinance or some mechanism mm-hmm. like San Francisco has mandatory composting. In Massachusetts, they passed a law that if you make a ton of food waste a week to your company, like Whole Foods or grocery stores, you can't throw it out anymore. Mm-hmm. So they gotta figure out what to do with it and so it's created innovation in the marketplace. So there's a company called Vanguard Renewables that partnered with dairy farmers who are losing money because I'm not be drinking milk anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, they built anaerobic digesters on the farm, which basically they throw in the food waste, like three tractor trailers full every day of food waste. And they throw in um, some manure from the dairy farms. The dairy farmers are losing money. Now the farmers make electricity from the digesting of all mm-hmm. that f- food. And it, it heats or, I mean, provides electricity for 1,500 homes. Mm. Wow. And, and they get free electricity on their farm. They make $100,000. The partner who helped them build it and invest in it, they sell the electricity back to the grid and make the money. There's a few of these around in the country. In Europe, there's 17,000 of these. Wow. In France, it's mandatory composting. You go to jail or get a fine if you don't compost. <laughs> so I think there's all kinds of solutions like that in the book. I think the, uh, the, the, the important thing is that um, you know, we can make a difference individually mm-hmm. for our own health, for our own well-being, mm-hmm. for our future. But we also need to change what's happening in Washington and on the state level. I'm talking to other governor uh, about what can be done in their states, uh, and then we're working inside Washington mm-hmm. bipartisan. I mean, I'm just shocked. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a Democrat and I am more liberal than I think most people, but uh, I'm finding great partnerships with with Republicans who get that this is an imperative that we have to deal with. Well, I think food food doesn't have to be partisan. It can be common ground. Yeah. It's not, no. It's all of us. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us in our conversation with Dr. Mark Hyman. What did you think, Will? Wow. I mean, the statistics are mind-blowing in the book. He so eloquently put it all together. Being, you know, my space is, is functional medicine and seeing the impact that our food supply can have on our health, but to really educate myself on how the food industry is impacting the health of our planet uh, was really illuminating for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I think he, on the flip side of it, it is he gives us action steps. These yeah. are things that we can do both on a personal level, on a collective level, on a governmental level. I love that he's starting a positive lobbyist group to to make change uh, mm-hmm. on, a, on a 
policy level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so easy to just feel completely overwhelmed and as though it doesn't really matter. But he makes a very, very, um, a very, very good point uh, at pointing out that the decisions we make on a daily basis, both as consumers, but then on a global scale as an economy, have incredibly powerful and can have incredibly positive impact on global health and the health of the planet. It's just a, you know, I'm really grateful for the conversation. It's a fantastic book. Um, I hope that everyone who's listening gets a copy of it and follows Dr. Hyman and his work. If you want to learn more about Dr. Mark Hyman, you can go to drhyman.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N.com. Also check out his podcast, which is great. It's called The Doctor's Pharmacy, spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. And make sure to get a copy of his new book, Food Fix, which is out now. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. Okay, it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Calvin asks us, what's your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I really don't have a pet peeve that I can really think of. I think mean people... Or is a pet peeve? Is that a pet peeve? I don't. I just yeah, think yeah. maybe a lot of my job is you know, I consult patients online, but because it's online, there's that social media component of it. Uh-huh. I think that uh, the trolling on social media sometimes, or people saying snarky things on Twitter, and not even directed towards me, but I just see the negativity. That's kind of my pet peeve. Mm-hmm. I try to ignore that. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I would say similarly, um, the eye roll is one of my biggest pet peeves when mm, people like have that RBF followed by an, by, uh, an eye roll. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.